Hey everyone, and welcome to Radically Normal. On this episode where we discuss theology, we're going to talk about predestination and free will and how those things and the tension of that are portrayed in the Bible, and we hope to just be faithful to the text today, and we hope you enjoy our discussion. What's up, everybody? This is Andre. You know, this is honestly one of my favorite topics to talk about. I don't know if it's my favorite to like have to like defend myself about because, you know, I have a lot of questions about it and all, but... You know, it's a cool topic and it's it's pretty uh, nuanced as Mike would say. I'm, I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad uh, you know, we prayed for wisdom and all before we started, but you know, before we dive in, uh, just to like have something a little bit lighter on the episode like we normally do. I had a question I have a question prepared for Michael. And I have question, no clue what this question is. I have a question for Michael and oh you gosh. know that, that question is uh since we started podcasting about uh, eight or nine months ago or however long it's been, what are the top three things you've learned about podcasting? What are the top three or, things I've or, learned? Or about yourself. Or about myself. Through the podcast. Through the podcast. Okay. I've probably learned that it takes more time than I expected. I've learned that I have little to zero capabilities with media production, and I've had to like teach myself how to edit, and I'm still not very good at it. And I've learned that I'm probably, sinfully, a little too controlling you could say or just like thinking about like how i would do things or maybe like sinfully trying to emulate other people i guess maybe that's three things i've learned but i really haven't thought about the question that much but maybe i should start sorry for putting you on the spot but you what know, about you the, three you know, things <laughs> <laughs> go <laughs> and i didn't expect you to you know, ask the question back which i kind of realized you would like two seconds after it started coming out of my mouth but <laughs> the the whole idea of like putting you on the spot seemed really fun you know, before we started recording. Anyway, I think I, I, I learned the importance of g- walking through scripture with someone else. I think, you know, just going through scripture together and like oh, our, really com- our conversations before the pod, before we start recording every single time, despite us trying to like make those shorter to like save time and all. But I've learned so much through those, you know, like, Oh, like I didn't know that or whatever. That's been really big for me. Also, I think that having a podcast has really shown me, that, you know, despite feeling like really small, like in the grand scheme of like, you know, like bigger pastors and like all those kind of things and like going to big churches during my life and all that, you know, it just seems like you can like reach, you know, just a few people and like how like, like that just like, like, it just feels like great to like, you know, get those texts like, Hey, I like your podcast or whatever. And it just gives you also an avenue to like talk to people about the word. Cause you can say, Hey, I'm working on this podcast. So just how easy that's been has been like great. And it's just like, I learned like how easy it is to make a difference. And then the third thing I think would be on the podcasting side, I, I guess I would also say like, I didn't realize like how much effort goes into like actually like marketing and branding yourself. Oh gosh, that's for sure. In the right way. And just like all the different, you know, decisions you have to make and how you're going to have to stick with them, even if you know, you don't like them later or whatever. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think I like what you said. Like, even if you don't like them later or something along those lines, there will be times when we talk about a topic and then I'll be reading a good book about it or reading a passage that's somewhat applicable to something else we've talked about. And I'm like, man, that would have been so good back then, but that episode's been out for a month and it's way too late. So sometimes you just have to be content with what the Lord was doing at that time and not wish you could just fit everything in new to the past. Yeah, know? I think it kind of like fits in with like to, like today's topic. You know, we're talking about uh, predestination and free will, which is like a topic that we've talked about between the two of us like, We've been talking about that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Could have easily been a topic we had in season one. And I think both of us kind of agreed, you know, like 
we're not super like familiar with the podcasting stuff yet. And then later it was like, it could be a better episode if we just waited. And I think that now we're kind of at the point where if we feel like it's something that um, our like audience or listeners or whoever, just like anyone who feel like it would be relevant, um, we're kind of just going to talk about it. We're going to go for it. And, you know, if it doesn't come out how we want to, or we think that it could have been better later on, you know, that's okay. And we just, we just pray that, you know, the spirit speaks through us and like reaches people. Exactly. So there's in the, in this topic today, there's a, there's going to be tension between election and free will, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility is how it's usually put. And there's also a mystery there there, that we can't fully understand. And I think that's okay because we don't want to worship an infinite being, or we don't want to worship a being that we can fully understand there. There's an, uh, infinite et- eternality to God that we can't fully understand, and that's part of who and why we're worshiping. So just to dive in, we're gonna if we're talking about predestination, maybe a definition of it would go first, and we can talk about yeah, for sure. we can talk about where it's where it's most prominently seen in the biblical text, and where we would go and and to think about that. So just a definition that I would probably say is that God chose whom he would save electing a people to be reconciled to himself through christ by his grace the emphasis for this is always god's grace and his mercy by adopting sinners through election so when we're thinking about the big thinking in mark we've been talking about the kingdom This is different. This is God's sovereignty that he is actually in control of all things and can do as he pleases, as the as the Old Testament says. And this is an application of sovereignty to soteriology, which is just the doctrine of salvation or words in the Bible about salvation. So this is applying God's sovereignty to salvation. You know, just to like set up the whole discussion along with the definition, two things that kind of like come to mind for me is we talk about like the chosen or, or the elect, as you said, there's like a differentiation between like God's chosen people, which is Israel. And then like the chosen slash the elect and like who God is like, um, like chosen Wait, hold on, hold on. off the air. What? Like, you know, like there's like, the, like God's chosen people is like Israel, but just cause like, we're not like Israel doesn't mean we're not like chosen or, but the spirit, I don't know if we want this in there. The spiritual remnant of Israel is like brought into the church in a sense that Israel's fulfilled in the church. The believers in the old Testament are the believers in the new Testament. All right. Let's just uh, take that all out then. Sorry. That's like a different conversation. Maybe. Okay. Let's just uh, go back to, so I defined and then said, we're applying oh, yeah, it to salvation. Okay, 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 okay. And then, sorry. Okay. I didn't, just didn't want to like get into dispensationalism. Again. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, all right. You know, along with the definition, uh, I guess the the thing like the most baseline understanding is kind of there's nothing that we can do to attain our salvation. It's all because of God. Exactly. And you even see there was a great conversation between, I think, Charles Simeon and and Wesley back in the day. Um, And basically, Wesley was not a believer in how we might be presenting predestination, but he did believe in that his his. Salvation was completely dependent upon God, and his salvation was uh, completely upheld by God and persevered by the strength of God. And so, this, this people think about sovereignty in different ways, and usually it's framed up in this Calvinism-Arminianism debate. 
I think what was helpful for both Andre and I is that before we began hearing or thinking through the Calvinism, Arminianism terms, we had been learning or thinking about predestination and in, in, in the will and whether it's free or not before we came to this debate where there's terms inside. So uh, actually, you think of Mr. Snyder, who was on our podcast in season one. I first learned about this doctrine or this this. Uh, this thinking about the this this like aspect of salvation from him, but it wasn't in terms of a, a debate that was going on in the church on the will of man and predestination. It was just framed up in terms of here's what the Bible teaches. So typically, people say that Calvinists are trying to remove human responsibility, and I would identify as a Calvinist, but I would say we're not doing that at all, and we're going to see how Calvinists have upheld the 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 free will of man. Um, and so we're going to hold the tension of these two truths that man is free to choose and that God is sovereign in salvation. And I think, I guess for me, this topic has always been like really confusing. You know, if, if, you know, predestination is a thing, I guess like the first question that comes to mind is like, probably like, why are some people saved? Why are some people not saved? Um, like how does that, you know, how does that even make sense? How is that fair? And I think, you know, one thing that I, I read about as, as I was going through was, you know, there's like also the possibility, you know, like God could have like found it to be true that like he's going to save no one. You know, the fact that he's saving that he's, the fact that he's saving anyone is like just like demonstrates his grace like already just in that, you know. Yeah, exactly. So before we there are counterpoints or there are uh, basically complaints against the doctrine that we do want to spend some time thinking through. But first, we need to get to the most important part, which is the Bible. So looking at Romans chapter 8, I'm just going to read a few verses uh, that kind of forms a foundation. Starting in verse 28 of Romans chapter 8, Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so Paul is uh, talking about uh, predestination and those who are called to be saints, believers in Christ. And in Romans 9, he's going to do uh, a deeper thinking about God's sovereign choice, and he's talking about, uh, he's going to be also be talking about the relationship between Israel and the church. But he, he does talk about how uh, God chose Jacob on his like by himself. God made that decision. And he talks about how uh, God's sovereignty is not an injustice on God's part. It doesn't depend on human will, but on God who has mercy. He has mercy on whom he wills, it says in verse 18. And he hardens whomever he wills, just like you think of the hardening of Pharaoh back in Exodus uh, in the first part before Israel was delivered. Uh and then Paul says to the man who questions this, who are you to answer back to God? You're the, you're the, you're the clay. You can't say back to your molder, why have you made me like this? So there is a lot of text going on uh, in the Bible. And, and Paul is a, a big proponent of this, talking about uh, the sovereignty of God in salvation. But one of the biggest questions is, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined in Romans 8.29. So you might think, well, does that mean that God foreknew who would believe in Christ? And then therefore, since he knew who would choose Christ, he predestined them? That's usually the Arminian answer to this. 
And so that would be conditional election. God elects on the condition that you come to faith in Jesus. Uh, we would probably say that unconditional election is actually proper. And the belief itself is a moral issue. That in Ephesians 1, in John chapter 3, when Jesus tells Nicodemus, you have to be born again, that people love the darkness. That, that uh, people aren't going to come to Jesus before their election Without election, nobody would come to Jesus because of the darkness uh, that is with, within everyone. So if, you ta- if you're talking about uh, God conditionally electing people, so this idea of like there being a grace that allows people to come to Christ and then God electing those people, there's no guarantee. Whereas in Philippians 1, Paul is saying the one who started the good work in you, God, is going to complete that good work. And the problem is, is that we don't need to become partially alive to be, to, to come to know Jesus. Like Jesus is saying, you need to be born again. We need to be completely reborn. Our soul needs to be resurrected. This is what Ezekiel is talking about in chapter 36 when he says, uh, where I'm gonna, God's, God says he's going to take the heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. So if we believe in the depravity of the human being, it's entirely possible that without election, we wouldn't have any Christians. And... God, we know, is ushering in a kingdom and he is calling people to himself and that there is a kingdom and that there is a final day when the people of God who are chosen and called into the flock of Christ are going to reign with him forever. And as you say, like, you know, election is unconditional. That means, I guess my understanding is, is there's nothing that we do to deserve it. There's nothing that, that can happen to, you know, for that to be taken away. I guess, like, my question is, you know, how does that fit into, you know, the wor- like the writings of Paul where he says, you know, you know, don't just sin so grace may abound. If, like, our election is, is unconditional, you know, how do, how do those things, two things kind of, like, fit hand in hand? Right, so I think that there's two things. One, election is to salvation. And so um, election is to salvation and it's to perseverance. So one of the – one of the th- – typical things that's thought of when you think of Calvinism or the doctrine of predestination is the perseverance of the saints, that those who come to true faith are not going to fall away. And so the election is to um, salvation and to the sanctification that you're going to persevere in the faith. So when Paul says in Romans 6, 1, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. We've died to sin. How can we still live in it? So Paul is, this is, again, this is thinking about how our will is free. Paul is saying, you have, you have been adopted by God, called by God, by his grace, through your faith in Jesus Christ. And so now that you have died to sin, remember, he says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Since you've been crucified, you're not a slave to sin, you're a slave to righteousness. So now that you know your calling, now that you know your election, Peter talks about confirming your calling and your election now that you know that now walk in uh walk in your sanctification so you think of about ephesians 2 you were dead in the trespasses and sins verse 5 of chapter 2 god made you alive in christ jesus verse 10 sorry i'm just kind of hopping through so we don't have to read a lot of of the so we don't have to read the whole passage walk in the good works that god prepared beforehand for you So God prepared them before you, but now you need to walk in them. So God's called you to something and you need to step into it. So we see that, that uh, dual dimension there to God calling us to something and we need to walk into it. God didn't call us to sin. Paul's saying, 
grace abounds. The cross and the blood of Christ has covered everything, but your condition, your election is condition is unconditional. And you need to step into the grace that Christ has called you to through the cross and the resurrection. I think to summarize, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I did not give a, a summarized answer. So go for it. I, I think to summarize, I think it's, we could say that having unconditional election shouldn't breed passiveness when it comes to our faith. Exactly. Because we know sin, the, the person who has been reborn of the Holy Spirit has been given a new set of desires by saying walk in those by saying walk in the good works that God's prepared beforehand in Ephesians 2:10 God is saying to not walk in sin but to walk into your new set of desires to to we know now that sin is an abuse of grace and that it's destructive for us personally and since our desires have been rewired we've gone from heart of stone to heart of flesh as in Ezekiel 36. So why we should hate sin. We should see grace and want to walk in and to know the joy that comes from knowing Christ. So that's why I would say uh, unconditional election fits with our sanctification and what Paul is trying to do in Romans 6. I think the, like the next point of maybe a little bit of like confusion for me has always been like, how does this whole predestination thing fit in with free will I mean, I understand the idea, you know, of predestination, and, and it makes sense to me 100%. Now, when you, like, mix in free will, like, that's when it, like, starts to, like, get a little more confused. Exactly. I do, I, it, it gets more confusing, and this is where we get to where there's a mystery and there's a humility that comes from knowing there's a tension that we can't fully resolve, but that the scripture holds both, and that's okay. So this is really building off of Jonathan Edwards' work, and he has a great book, Freedom of the Will. It's very philosophical, but biblically rooted, and it's hard, it's hard to get through, but it's good. But what Edwards talks about is how your, man, how your will is driven by your desires. So man always picks what is most attractive to him. So your will is free, but it's limited. So you can't choose right now to transform yourself into a bird. And I know that sounds funny, but your will is free to do as you choose. You could go punch the wall, but you can't transform yourself into a bird. So you're free to do as you'd want, but it's your will is also limited. So where this comes into election and your free will is that Edwards would say man always picks what is most attractive, but when man is dead in sin, like Paul says in Ephesians 2, uh, Ephesians 2, 1, when man is dead in sin, he is, as Luther would say, is dead. And the will cannot, the will cannot do anything but choose death. So when you're in sin and you haven't been saved and you haven't been called to faith and you haven't professed faith in Jesus and, and been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, your will is free to choose, but it's limited, and your only options are those things of sin. So your will is free to choose, but it's going to choose in accordance with your desires. And as uh, Edwards is going to say, you're going you're gonna to pick what's most attractive, but because you're not reborn of the Holy Spirit and God hasn't given you a new set of desires, you're always going to pick sin because that's what's always most attractive to someone who is walking in darkness and to someone who is... Uh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, what, what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, before he talks about God, God's mercy and making you alive in Christ. 
So man picking what's most attractive, your will is free to do so, but it's limited, like I said. However, this is where the doctrine of irresistible grace comes in, because what happens is when when God elects and calls in a in a in a moment to to a person, there's now a new option in the in the will. So the will can now now has a new option of choice. So the will's always been free, but it now has a new option to choose, and it now has the cho- the choice to choose Christ. And the grace that's in Christ is irresistible. And so you choose Christ. And so the doctrine of irresistible grace is basically you don't come to Christ as a as somebody within the elect kicking and screaming, but you come joyfully and receive Christ because your will is free, but there's been a new option given you by the Holy Spirit. And so now you freely choose what's been given to you. And so like I think obviously within like any decision, you can choose Christ or you can choose sin, right? You can choose kind of from like that perspective, but that doesn't really have, it's not really, you're not really talking about like morality, right? So I'm talking about, I'm not talking about in any given moment, what Paul's saying in Romans six, you can choose sin and grace is going to abound, or you can just step into the grace that you've been called to and walk into the good works that God's called you to Ephesians 2.10. I'm not talking about your everyday decision to sin, like to, to lust or to do any of that stuff or to be angry in a sinful manner versus to Uh, walk in humility and obedience, I'm talking about the call to salvation. So you think about even when you sin nowadays, if you're a Christian, if you sin in that moment, you're choosing what's most attractive to you. In that moment, when we sin, we're choosing something that in that moment is more attractive to us than being obedient to God. And that's what grieves the Holy Spirit, what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. But Oh, what what Edwards is saying when the when your will is limited so you can't choose God you're only going to choose sin I'm not I'm talking about before you're saved before you've professed faith in Jesus your will is free to choose as you would like but your will's limited and it cannot choose God because your will is clouded in sin and it's dead so you can only choose the manner and the way of death so you choose sin because sin is the most attractive to somebody who's dead once you've been reborn, once the Spirit gives you the next, or not the next, but once the Spirit gives you the more attractive choice, Jesus, and you come to that irresistible grace, the most attractive option, then in any given moment, we still practice, we, we choose what's most attractive to us, but now in any given moment, in our morality, as Andre said, we can pick uh, sin or the way of Christ, but at that point we've already been saved. Does that make sense? I think it, I think it makes sense, more sense at least. Jesus, you might be famous with Jesus saying, "I am the the bread of life." There's a lot there. Let's read. Jesus says in John six thirty seven, "All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I'll never cast out." For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of what he's given me, but raise it up. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I'll raise him up on the last day. So in verse 37, the the ones that the Father gives to Jesus are going to come to Jesus. So the ones that the Father has prepared to give to Jesus, unconditional election, are going to choose the free will, the responsibility of man to come to Jesus. And Jesus is never going to cast them out. They're going to persevere. So 
we see that Jesus is going to uphold our salvation. He's the rock of our salvation. But that the ones that God brings or gives to Jesus, the ones that the Father gives to the Son, are the ones that are going to come to the Son, and the Son's never going to cast them out. So this is Jesus kind of talking about, I think, uh, the sovereignty, human responsibility tension. So as as God, you know, gives us gives us to Christ, gives us to the Son, in our I guess in our free will and along going like alongside with our predestination by God, like kind of what separates us from, you know, being just like a, a puppet, you know, that, that actually like uh, as someone who like actually makes choices or like that actually like make a difference, you know? Exactly. So this is a really good question. I think that people, even people who accept the doctrine of election, I think that there's this worry that we are some sort of puppet or robot controlled by God and we're on strings and something or something. This is where ideas of providence come in. So we've been talking about God's sovereignty. He does as he pleases. We need to also, this is thinking more about God's providence or his continued care and governance over the world, you could say, or just the fact that God is still reigning and God still upholds the universe and the way that things operate and he uh, works in his church. So there's different ways to think about this. So there's generally four categories of providence. One is theological determinism that basically everything, every atom, everything moves because of God. There's theological compatibilism, which is we are free to act in accordance with our desires, which are either broken by sin or redeemed by grace. There's Molinism, which is that God knows everything that could have been, even though he didn't make it that way, but he chose the option that would allow for free will and cause the least damage. Or libertarian free will is the last category. You're just a free agent who can do anything with no outside compulsions. And that's what we usually think of libertarian free will when we want to think of our free will. And I think the Bible is actually closer to theological compatibilism, which is the second category I gave. This is getting very technical, but essentially, like I was saying with Jonathan Edwards, we're free to act in accordance with our desires. However, our desires are one of two things. They're either broken by sin, so we're dead in sin, or we're redeemed by grace through the cross of Christ and the resurrection and the life that comes from that. So when we act within our, in accordance with our desires, but they're broken by sin, then we end up with we're only choosing sin because uh, we haven't been redeemed, so sin is always the most attractive option. But if we're acting in accordance with our desires and we've been called by God to Christ— and we've been redeemed by his grace, and, and we've uh, professed Christ as Lord and Savior, then uh, our desires in salvation uh, allow us to choose Christ, and then, walking away from that after, we can walk in obedience to God as people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So I think theological compatibilism allows for there to be freedom, uh, human freedom, with there being God's causation. I think that those two things act together. And I think that the Bible puts these things in tension. You see in Acts, uh, the apostles say, God delivered by his foreknowledge Christ Jesus to the cross, whom you crucified. So he holds the people who crucified Christ accountable, or they hold the people who crucified Christ accountable, and they say he was delivered up according to the foreknowledge of God, meaning Jesus wasn't plan B, Jesus was plan A. What's important about foreknowledge, and we're thinking back to Romans eight twenty nine, is that uh, it's not foreknowledge for God isn't just knowing the truth in advance, like oh tomorrow it's going to rain. It's 
also foreordination, like I was saying in Acts or that you see in First Peter 1. So like in Genesis 18, when he's talking uh, in light of just ushering in the Abrahamic covenant, God sometimes uses the, or the, the Bible sometimes uses knowledge in terms of choosing. So when Romans 11 or in Amos 3 are talking about God not knowing nations outside Israel, they're not saying God didn't know, like literally didn't know, like he's not omniscient. It's just saying God knew Israel in an electing favor. Like he knew them in a favorable, more personal way. So I think that compatibilism and, and the, this idea of foreknowledge and how it fits in with our freedom allows for there to be both God's causation and human freedom. Oh, I know that's really confusing to people who are just getting into ideas of providence. So I'm sorry if that's confusing or again, if I just didn't explain it very well. I think for me, like I'm someone who likes to understand things in a very analytical way. And alongside that, I feel like, like control a little bit. And something that I've been working on is, you know, allowing, allowing God to like, you know, like have control, of, like the path I'm going to take, you know, just help me with my decision-making, give me wisdom. It's something that like I've talked to you about, about to you a lot. And you know, that, that's been something I've been working on, but like, if you like put those two things together and it kind of like, just like breeds like a person, I would say like, this is like very like difficult for me to like, just like understand analytically. And then like also those like feelings of like loss of control and all that. It's just like tough sometimes, but I think that the one big takeaway that I have like studying about it is, you know, just like the humility that it gives you that like, you know, God chose you mm-hmm, for sure that he loves you because like it has nothing to do with anything that I could have done. And especially because like, I know that, you know, when, when given several options and like, I know, you know, there, there's, you know, there's the one I, I that God wants me to, to take and it's like the good option. And then, you know, there's like several options where we'll, which like result in like me sinning. Yeah. Like what Mr. Snyder said about there's the option of the tree of life and there's the tree exactly. of knowledge of good and evil. And it's like, I just like know, like, you know, the human condition is like two more times than not go, go the wrong way, you know? And just like having like that, like feeling of just like, you know, humility and, and, you know, just awe for God, you know, to know that, you know, he, like he, he loved me so much to, you know, like have mercy, have grace on me. And I don't know, at times it, it is difficult for me to like understand this like topic specifically, but you know, it's, it's very interesting and very humbling to, to dive into it from like a, like a biblical perspective and a theological perspective. I think one thing that's great about Andre is we'll be talking and I'll be talking about theology in a very philosophical, maybe almost too abstract way. And he pulls it back in and makes it very practical. So I think that this is maybe a good point. We could talk about some like opposing views or some questions people might have about like, why wouldn't God save everyone or why should we pray and evangelize? So should we talk about that? Yeah. I think one thing that came to mind is like, why should we pray and evangelize? I think that kind of goes back to the thing that, you know, God chose you, but then we also have to think about, you know, looking back to like Genesis, you know, which is kind of funny for me to say, but you know, looking back to Genesis, he made us for his glory. Right. And if his glory is for more people, who he has chosen to, you know, worship him. And like the fastest way for God to be able to do that is to like, you know, use us as an instrument of like reaching other people, which we call evangelism. And that, that being said, you know, just because we understand, uh, election and we understand free will or, and we like, we know that, you know, our election is, is unconditional. Well, that doesn't mean that, you know, God didn't choose us for the specific purpose of us reaching other people. That's to say like, for example, um, let's just like take some, some famous pastor or something. 
God chose him and, you know, gave him the gifts to be a preacher. If he just decided, you know, to, to sit in his house and, you know, just be super thankful and, you know, sit in, in all of his humility or, or all of his pride, I guess you could say, and, you know, be, and, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I have this predestination. It's unconditional. So here I will sit until the end of my life. You know, think of how many people wouldn't have been reached that he could have reached and that, that, that could have been the reason why God chose him, you know. So I guess there's there's that way of looking at it. Yeah, that creates a sort of hyper-Calvinism where people are passive about evangelism, and that's not what the Bible's about at all. So, like, Charles Spurgeon, I think, was the one who said, like, you don't know who's part of the elect. There's nobody walking around with ease above their forehead thanks to the Holy Spirit. So, uh you evangelize. You also don't we also don't get to disobey scripture's command to evangelize, and we should see it as a privilege to evangelize. One of the things that struck me most about our interview with Nate was how he said like we overcomplicate the gospel, and we just have to remember that it goes back to it being good news, and that's what we're talking about this season in Mark, the euangelion, the royal proclamation about the son of God. And so it's a privilege to talk about this. And so just thinking about that like this is what makes it immensely practical, but there are questions that people have like why wouldn't God save everyone? So this is like maybe the toughest question to be thinking about, except that there, I would say that there is a mystery there. We can't fully answer this, but I would say that I don't think election creates this problem because if, if God wants everyone saved and is all powerful, which everybody would say, and the Bible says those things, he could save everybody regardless, but it's clear he doesn't like denying election doesn't solve the problem. And Tim Keller has this great quote, and I'm, I'm not one to do a bunch of quotes, but he, this is really good. He says, I try to honor my child's freedom of will, but not if I see if he's about to be killed by it. Why can't God insult our freedom of will for a moment and save us for eternity? Regardless of whether you think we're saved by our choice or by God's, you face the same question. Why wouldn't God save us all if he has the power and desire to do so? It's a hard question, but it can't be used as an argument against the doctrine of election. So I think that we have this, we have this thing here where this is used as like a rejection of what the Bible is teaching uh, about predestination. But we have to remember God's mercy in calling a people to himself. And like, you just think about the book of Romans, like uh, Andre did a great job of talking about evangelism. The book of Romans is a missions book. Paul's writing to the Romans, talking about his ongoing mission, sharing the gospel. He says in Romans 10, with people who have never heard it before, how are they going to be saved if they haven't heard the word, he says. And this is what he's talking about. This is, this is practical. And like one great question to ask is why pray to God about like, why pray God, please save them. Why pray that if he isn't sovereign, why would you pray that to a God who's not sovereign over salvation? Uh, so that's practical for evangelism. And then just thinking inwardly for ourselves, it's also nice for assurance of salvation because you can't lose a salvation that you didn't earn. Yeah, it's really good. I think, I guess like the first question that comes to mind when you were talking about like praying to for God to save them, you know, so like, I, I guess like a part of the mystery of it is like someone who I, I guess we have no way of determining or knowing whether they be elect or not. But like, what about someone like is like wants to be saved, tries, but then like if they're not elect, like kind of like, where does that? Yeah. So this is a, this is a question where, Andre's been joking or using the the term lob a lot recently. This is the lob. So the per there's nobody remember that the so we were talking about the free will. We we're talking about the will of man. We we're talking about Jonathan Edwards' conception and the theological compatibilism and the idea of providence. So we need to 
So remember that man in his free will is going to act in accordance with his desires. That's why the man that's dead in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. They're carrying out the desires that are most attractive. So somebody that's not being open, uh, a person that's not opened to Christ, where that's not an option for the will, where the will is limited and does not include that, but only includes bondage and death, they're not going to be, quote, desiring to come to Jesus. The people that are desiring to come to Jesus are being saved. And the people that that we're trying to reach, that we're trying to herald the good news of the gospel to and be good stewards, not just of resources, but of this kingdom proclamation and message, this good news that Jesus has redeemed us on the cross by his blood for our sins and resurrected in final victory over death and that we get to spend eternity with him. The, the reality of this is when we're proclaiming that message, the, the people that are wanting, as Andre says, to come to Jesus, if they're wanting to come, uh, that means that the Spirit is doing something there and that the will is being opened. But for the people that are rejecting, then the will is limited and is just going to act in accordance with its desire to choose sin. Does that help? So somebody that's wanting to come is genuinely going to come and otherwise is going to act in accordance with their desire. This is where J.I. Packer's words comes in. He's talking about the comfortable words of John 6, as he calls them, and says that some fear that election means that somebody will want to come to Christ and won't be able to. But he says, Christ says in John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And this is true. So it's true that God has chosen whom he'll save and that Christ has died for those people. But it's also true that Christ has given himself and offers himself freely to all people who will come to him as such, just like he says. I think one thing I just thought of is, is like as evangelists or um, if we think of ourselves like from that perspective, like we still should not be like prideful, you know, we're like a conduit of, of God saving people, but we're not the reason why they're saved, which is like, I think an important distinction to like not have pride. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to evangelize. Or I'm going to invite someone to church. So that means that I'm better than, other Christians or like whatever that that's not the case at all. I, I don't think. Yeah, it's not the case. And I liked what you said about like, we're not responsible and how that creates humility. Another thing it does is if God's sovereign over salvation, we're not responsible for people's response to our gospel message. We are only responsible to share it. So we're responsible to preach the gospel message and we participate in the expansion of the kingdom through the salvation of souls by sharing it. But it's God who's ultimately responsible for saving people. So it shouldn't burden us like, oh, I shared the gospel, but I'm not good enough at sharing it. So I need to improve or God's never going to save anyone. Uh, we should always be trying to speak with deeper clarity about our convictions about Jesus. But at the same time, God is sovereign over salvation. So that I think that makes us more free in sharing the gospel. For sure. You know, just kind of in in the spirit of like not making this super super long we're about 35 minutes now but if anyone listening has like any questions you know mike and i would like love for you guys to like you know if you have any like questions uh you could like email us at radically normal pod at gmail.com or you could like even like instagram dm us which is just radically normal pod you know, I'm, I'm sure Mike would love to respond to your emails. You'd probably love to have a response from him more than Don't me. Don't you love that I'm the one that's responsible for answering? But I mean, I'm just saying like, they'd probably rather hear from you than from me uh, on this topic. But you know, like always, like if you guys have any questions or whatever, like feel free to, you know, send them our way. 
and you know we'll do our best to like uh point you towards resources or you know try to respond if we can yeah and this is just this is less than one minute here just some last minute practicality we've been talking about evangelism and and uh assurance of salvation and that sort of thing three points one calvin would say our salvation or the salvation of the elect is as certain as God's power is invincible. So we're secure in God. That's that's practical and that's hopeful for the body of Christ. Number two, because like Andre was saying, uh, God has chosen us, we're humbled into thankfulness. The Bible always surrounds discussion of this topic with praise and thanksgiving. We can be thankful to God and we can praise God because of it. And number three, we know that uh, because of God's sovereignty, not just in this, but in all things, hardships and sufferings are not accidents. And one day we know that we're going to be glorified with Christ. Yeah. And I guess adding something practical is good just to like that kind of longer discussion. But, you know, I hope this discussion was fruitful for anyone listening. And, you know, I hope that it like clarified some things or, you know, just oh. like made you think about things differently or uh, more like showed you what passage of the Bible you need to look at specifically. Maybe I just hope you guys got something out of it and that it was good. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed this discussion. Yeah. We barely scratched the surface. It feels like, but there's so much to learn here and we didn't cover all of it, but we hope this conversation was fruitful and we hope you worship God more because of his mercy and calling people to himself. Thanks for tuning in to radically normal. We'll talk to you on Monday.